Hey folks, my name is Josh Finkelman and you're listening to Running Up the Downstairs. This is episode number one, zero, zero, one, numero uno. And I couldn't think of anyone I would rather have as my first guest than Toronto comedian and one of my best friends, Dan Gallia. Dan's also the host of a uh, live comedy show down at the Rec Room in downtown Toronto in the shadow of the CN Tower, uh, which I am also a small part of. Uh, and you can get free tickets, that's free tickets, uh, through Dan's website, dangallia.ca, or uh, my website, kjoshradio.com, or the downstairs has a link as well. Um, we talked to Dan's apartment because that's where we do most of our talking, because we've been friends for a long time. And... Uh, I don't want to keep you from that anymore. So with just the slightest amount of ado, uh, I just wanted to thank Josh Telfer, who uh, designed the logo um, and the musical stylings of the incomparable Ian Campbell, who made my theme music, which you're about to hear in a second, and I uh, am very fond of it. Um, and I hope you're going to be too. Maybe it'll even get stuck in your head. So that's all the ado. We're out of ados. So uh, here we go. Episode number one. <laughs> Downstairs, everybody. Today, my guest, my first guest, uh, is my best friend Dan Gallia. Hey, what's up? Thanks for uh, thanks for doing it. I feel like I couldn't couldn't start this shit off without you being the first guest, just because uh, you know you are my first guest. Um, no, I uh, I appreciate you having me on. Sorry, it took so long to uh, get around to doing this. Whatever. I know you don't like talking about yourself, so like, you no. know, just really. Happy I was to... just busy doing voices on The Simpsons, as you know, I do. That's true. That's true. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about your uh, yeah. your Simpsons glory. Do they know you're doing the voices? Let's get right into it. Real meaty journalism, right now. Uh, they don't know. I, I'm mostly doing it at home by myself. Right, like while you're watching The Simpsons. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. So you like you integrate seamlessly then. Right. That's that's what I've always. That's the thing about Danny. He's a consummate. It's like an homage that I'm doing, and no one's watching, and I'm not getting paid, and it's by myself, and I'm usually eating dinner. That's while I do it. That's. I mean, I think that's how most of us watch The Simpsons, or at least used to. I think that you're keeping them relevant. I think The Simpsons, uh, because of The Simpsons, I end up eating quite a few dinners. (laughs) Multiple dinners, especially when they're on. It's on all the time, and I just every time I see The Simpsons, I think dinner. Just immediately preheat the oven. I had three dinners yesterday. That is, I mean, look, sometimes, and some dinners like The Simpsons, some dinners are better than others, some yeah. episodes are better than others. It's true. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Dan, who are you? What do you mean? Me, other than my best friend, why, well, tell me Tell me something that, that people might want to know about you. Well, my name is Dan Gallia, I'm a comedian and a producer, and uh, I've been doing stuff in Toronto, mostly. I've uh, done some stuff in LA and New York too, but uh, I've been doing it for over 15 years, and uh, yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff now. All right, cool. Thanks for coming out. So that was running out of the day. Uh, <laughs> this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna ask people who they are and what they do, and then we're gonna we're gonna end it. Well, I think uh, it's time for another dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I always find it really interesting how people define themselves. Like when you when you say what are you, you know, it's like what is the first thing that you use to 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 describe yourself to someone like a stranger. So it's like, when did you first, have you always been a comedian or was there a point where you remember 
going like, oh, this is what I am. No, I like for a long time I just considered myself trying to be a comedian. So, because like you don't really, a lot of people just go and they tell a joke somewhere and they think they're a comedian. But it's like, and that's fine. I'm not against you thinking that. But like the truth is, I feel like you really don't. You're not something until you're doing it quite a bit or for a living. You know what I mean? So it's like I wouldn't like unplunge my toilet and be like I'm a plumber now. Like you know what I mean? But it's like if I was doing it for several people, and uh, I'd be a plumber. If you so, so multiple toilets plumber. I feel like when toilet. I started basically just doing comedy for a living, that's when I became a comedian. And when did you like? Because you said producer as well. So um, when did you? How long did it take you to feel like? Was it is is money the deciding factor ultimately? It's different. I think like with comedy, I felt like I was a comedian when I was just doing a bunch of shows and dedicating quite a bit of my time to it because it's just whatever's taking the most of your life away and comedy was all I thought about all the time so once that happened and I was doing several shows um, that's when I felt like a comedian but as a producer I only felt like a producer once I got paid for it interesting and it's almost like because it's behind the scenes like it's it feels like a business thing so you need yeah or like even if like it's so dumb but like even if you just do something and you have to like just do something legitimately for the first time because like as a comedian you're trying to do as much as you can so you're doing stuff you're just getting your friends together and shooting stuff but it's not necessarily legit you know what i mean so it's like when you finally start like being able to like pay people and do stuff like that that's when it starts to feel real because you're like you're actually doing something you know no no totally that that makes uh it makes a lot of sense is there seems like it's working i guess is the thing do you take are there different? We're gonna get like we're gonna we're gonna get you to rewind and we'll we'll track how you got here uh, in a minute because I always find people's like journey to where they are interesting. But do you take? Do you notice a difference in, in pride that you take from completing something as a producer or like when you accomplish like you know you get a really good laugh like the regular comedian type you know uh, goals big laughs and good jokes and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. The comedian stuff, like, the comedy stuff, when it goes well, you're just, like, it's like a drug. It feels like you just got really high on doing comedy. Whereas I feel like when you do something as a producer, it's like you just finished a big project. Like, it's like you, it's like a work project that you finished, and if it looks good and it went the way you wanted, you feel really proud of it because you've done something. It's like, it's like a drawing. It's like a guy draws what's in his head and if it's what's in his head and it's good, then he's proud of it. You know what I mean? And it's like, with with producing, it's like really hard because now you're working with like several different people and the odds of all of them doing a good job are whatever the odds are. But it depends on the people you put exactly, around. Exactly, and that's what makes a, hopefully a good producer is you choose the right people, right? So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, like, having the the right people, I think, is true of any kind of thing, but almost more true when you're on a on a time limit with, you know, a budget, and, like, you've got to get it done in, in the time you've got, because people yeah. don't have all day, right? Um, but let's, okay, let's, let's jump back a little bit, because you have been, we've been friends for a very long time, you've been a comedian as long as I've known you, um, and so, and I mean, obviously I know your history, so I'm just going to stop listening while you're talking about this stuff yeah. a little bit, but, um, how'd you get started? Like, what was the first, when was the first moment where you were like, oh man, this is what I'm going to be doing? Um, uh, I was doing, like, stuff at pep rallies in high school, and, like, I liked making people laugh in school a lot. I, like, one class clown, and all that dumb shit but uh 
Also, like a lot of my guidance counselors and teachers were giving me uh, brochures for like the Humber comedy program. And then I kind of was like, I also got rejected from every drama program I applied for because I just didn't know how to audition. And I never really figured out how to look into it, you know, like, and so I did a really embarrassing audition for all my drama. Like, I, it was really bad. Like, I looking back, it's like hilarious. But like, I, I sang Little People by, uh, like, from Les Mis. Like Goliath was a bruise about as tall as the sky, <laughs> and David threw a pebble, hit him right in the eye. You never read the Bible. I don't know that song. I'm not a true. big musical person. It was always what held me back in right. in school, like not in school, but like in those kind of uh, auditions. Because I used to do like when I was in high school, it was the same, right? And so I, but I can't sing like to say. Yeah, but this is not how you do an audition for a, a drama program it, it, like i did a fake cock i did a cockney accent and did a sidestep and sang little people from les mis they were probably just trying not to laugh in my face and then i also did you had to do a monologue for most of them and i chose a monologue from ants the movie ants i played an ant and like i don't know i didn't get into any of them like i said and then i applied for the comedy school and i I also didn't get in. Did and you use the like, same Ants monologue for comedy that you used for... I didn't, because the comedy one, I actually auditioned completely wrong as well. <laughs> but I, it was more of like an interview, and I had a, I prepared characters and jokes and stuff. So when I went into the room, I like actually like I didn't abide by the rules of the interview. I pushed the <laughs> sofa to the side of the room and did my audition in front of this guy's desk. <laughs> like completely weird right and then I didn't get in I didn't get an acceptance letter and then I like was like fuck like, I, I totally I thought I did a good job you know so I like went into Humber and I like asked the lady if there was some sort of a mistake <laughs> and she was like there is a mistake and she was like we didn't send these they were the first five people that we were going to accept and like we didn't actually send these out so you were I was in, one of them. You were in the top five of their... Possibly. I don't know or, if that's what happened, but... Or alphabetically, yeah. you, were, you were one in that top five. That was five. a thing that got forgotten. See, that's like an inherently... That, that, that's the difference, I feel like, between you and me, where like things do happen like that to you, whereas I would have gone up to the, the secretary and you're like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, we didn't email you the rejection letter. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or not email. I guess back then it was... It was real mail. So they used to have postmen and women who brought letters to your door. Um, and uh, actually, as a side note to mailman stuff, I was watching some uh, episode of something on TV and they were getting, uh, I can't remember what show it was, but they were getting university acceptances. And I still remember, I was like, they'd get one and they're looking at the envelope and it's a little envelope. And I was like, oh, that's not an acceptance. Was it Modern Family? Maybe, maybe. Where she gets uh, on the waiting list. Yeah, that was what it was. It was okay. We all watch too much TV, yeah. but it was. I, it was funny because I went, "Oh, small envelope doesn't count. Like that's you need to get a big envelope to be accepted." And yeah. I was like, "Oh man, people are not going to get that joke later." Um, at any rate, so okay, so you you auditioned and you got in, and then do you feel like do you feel like you learned comedy at Humber? Like because it's an. Int- I think pe- some people might say that you can't. Like you're either funny or you're not. Right. You know. No, uh, you don't learn. So yeah, like a lot of people say you can't learn to be funny. Uh, Humber's not really like, I don't think about learning to be funny. I think you do learn how to be funnier because you it's like a, I don't know, everyone's just more, it's harder to make 
other comedians laugh a lot of the time. So it's like you you're all you are honing yourself a little bit, but Humper was for me more about like uh, formatting, uh, like telling me how to get into it, you know, like putting me on stage at a Yuck Yucks or like a Second City and like learning where they were, where just just where those locations are, or, like who runs them and like how to properly put on a show and like you know contract stuff and like uh, you learn really weird stuff like that, but also really what it is is the people you meet because it's like that's the most beneficial thing about the program that i got out of it was that i'm still working with classmates from that program so like the sketchersons we we came like a good portion like 80 or 90 percent of us came out of the same year of humber so like my sketch troupe and gary's sketch troupe and pats and Tal's. so it's like yeah, that was the biggest thing. It's like I'm still working with some of these people. And some of them are my best friends, you know? It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what they say, you know, like the connections you make. I feel like I, when I was in, because I went to film school. Um, actually, now that I think about it, let's just be clear so that everyone knows, because you kind of backed away when you were saying, like, you didn't want to name drop, but let's name drop. That was Pat Thornton, and uh, who's one of the biggest stand-ups in Toronto, I'd say, these days, um, and the nicest guy, um, and Gary Rideout, who owns the Comedy Bar, which is sort of a central location in Toronto comedy, and um, and we just passed January, so, you know. Um, and Tal Zimmerman, who just uh, did a documentary called Why Horror. Exactly, and is in, like, every other commercial these yeah. days, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and also the nicest guy. So, yeah, I feel like you got, you, you had a, like, you were almost lucky that you had this group of, not almost, you were definitely lucky that you had this group of, like, really gr- amazing people that you got to come up with. It's I'm sure it's been interesting to watch people um, sort of, go from there to where they are now like and you you've also been very central to that so um maybe talk a little bit about how you guys like the how the community worked in that sense like as you were coming up um it was weird because like i i guess like coming out of humber we all just wanted to do shows because we had just kind of been drooling to get out of the school and into the real world and like show everyone what we could do kind of thing and so Everyone had their sketch troops. There was a bunch of sketch troops, and there was a bunch of like stand-ups that came out of it. Um, and everyone was just kind of doing their thing. But we were like, it was weird because it was like the first year of Humber. We flooded the the community, so there was like this community that was like kind of uh, already there from like Yuck Yucks and Second City, and uh, you know there was different places. Uh, Laugh Resort, I think, was another one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like there was these like comics that have been coming up through that system and then there was this flood of young kind of like I don't know you could compare them to like I'm sure they were looked at as like hipster type people coming into this thing right so there was a bit of a clash like you have a lot of people introducing you like uh, you know this guy uh, just came out of Humber Comedy School, where apparently you can learn to be funny, okay? Uh, and then you're like, that's your intro, and you're like, fuck. Like, you know, this guy's a student of comedy, so give him a break. You know, it's just like, all right. Like, so that happened a lot. And then, like, what happened with me specifically is I was in a sketch troupe called Flossie and the Jube Jubes, uh, which is like me, Craig Brown, Bob Kerr, and G Rant yeah. coming. And, uh, and then we, we were always competing uh, with uh, Todd's Lunch, which was Pat, Gary, and Tal. Right. And so we reached getting like, you know, 50 or 100 people out. And we thought, why don't we just do a show together 
and double our audience, you know? Yep. And that's what we did. And that's how the Skechersons kind of formed. And then we had auditions for other people to join. And then, um, especially women, because we were all men sketch troops. Six guys, all white, yeah. All white. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did that. And then uh, we booked. I booked some shows at the Rivoli. Nice. And those were our first shows. And then we did that. And the rest, as they say, is history. All right. Well, that's great. Um, and that was the... No. <laughs> we're just going to end the podcast four or five times. Yeah. Just psych. Um, yeah, it's interesting because... One of the one of the main goals of the podcast is to talk talk about how because I don't do as much um, as maybe I would like to and uh, and one of the reasons I wanted you to be on in the beginning was because you're someone you're sort of an interesting uh, mix of both sides of it where you actually do a lot of things but you don't always feel like you do a lot of things and so you're sort of straddling that divide um, and. So I, I kind of find it interesting that, like, you know, you kind of, the idea of you guys flooding the, the community with the shows and all that sort of stuff. So do you miss, because, like, you don't do, you you really only do the DG special um, these days and your own, like, videos and stuff. Do you miss that, like, constant uh, flood of doing shows and, you know, being in the, the guts of it? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I do. I, I miss it a lot. I actually miss doing. There's something about doing something regularly and building it from scratch. Or it's just like very. It's like it's nice. You know what I mean? But there's also the other side of it where it's just like producing these shows. It's just like producing a sketch show with a whole bunch of people. It's a lot of work and it's stressful and you feel like it's a lot of thankless hours of trying to do stuff and it's just hard and it's like arguable whether it's worth it you know but i think that at the end of the day it's worth it just in the sense that you're practicing you're practicing your writing you're performing everything like that so you know but it just does get a little bit soul crushing at times <laughs> you gotta step back from it to like recognize the things that you liked about yeah, it yeah when you're done you definitely see a lot of stuff that you liked about it and what it did for you but when you're in it, it can be very intense. Uh, so, like, well, that's a good way to lead into the DG special because the DG special is uh, something that Dan and I do together um, that started right where we are right now, which is in Dan's uh, living room. Um, so, why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about what it is and or what it started as and, and what it is now? Well, I just, a lot of people come through my place and, like, some of the best musicians and comedians in the country just hang out here sometimes. and. It's funny because we have the best conversations and it always feels weird because like sometimes I'll look around and be like, this would be an amazing show if I just recorded it, you know, but it's weird because you don't want people to feel uncomfortable and you just want it to be cool, you know, and so I always joked that I should make my living room a talk show because it's perfect. People are always coming by anyways. And so we did it. We just decided to make it a, a talk show in my living room. Especially because I, I don't think I would have wanted to do a weekly talk show if I had to leave my place. <laughs> uh, and so we kind of just turned my whole apartment into a multi-room uh, shoot where like outside we have the band and inside we have the couch interview, special guests, we have the kitchen for cooking segments, we have my bedroom for special acts like magicians and stuff like that, and then stand-ups do stand-up in my bathtub. And uh, when Dan when Dan told me about the idea, we were sitting right pretty much where we are right now. And I jokingly was said, "Well, if you're gonna have a live talk show in your house, like 
I have to be the sidekick because I'm always here. Like that, that sort of the the the, the I, crux. Yeah, there's so many people that I that I run into. I spent like in the last couple of years who we both know each other, but neither of us can remember why we know each other. And then ultimately, it always comes down to, oh, did I meet you at dance house? Oh, I met you at dance house. That that makes perfect sense. And then you realize who that person is, and it's like, oh, oh wait, how did I not know? That? You are doing some amazing things. Um, and a lot of people who will hopefully be, um, you know, not sitting where you are, because I doubt we'll do the interviews at US, but a lot of people who hopefully will be on the podcast uh, in the, you know, foreseeable future, probably I met in the the first time in this room also. Yeah. Um, so, the DG special. And now, that we were, so doing it was all on Facebook. We were doing it, like, live. And uh, now we do it at the rec room. Yeah, a huge arcade, virtual reality, entertainment, food and drink space. It's like if Dave and Buster's decided to be downtown for adults. Took steroids. Yeah, at a bar. I think maybe maybe Dave Dave and Buster's did have a bar. It is a cool place. It's like it's over. It's almost like overwhelming. It's yeah. It's it's, it's massive. Massive. It's just full of games. It has like a poutine kind of station and, and a donut donuts. station yeah. and a pizza station and. Two restaurants. It's pretty impressive. You can you can check it out. Uh, we're there the last Friday of every month, pretty much. Uh, if this gets up before March twenty third, uh, then we're gonna be there March twenty third. And if it gets up after March twenty third, then I believe it's uh, April. April's the next month. So I'm gonna guess April twenty fifth ish is something. It's around that. Sounds like around the last Friday of it's the month. The twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. I was off by two days. So. Um, one of those you can check it out as well. A lot of video games and, and that sort of thing. But do you get a different... Like, I know it's sort of a combination of both both things. It's very much something you're producing and it's very much something you're being a comedian in. And do you find that it... Do you find that it balances out almost like... It becomes like a zero sum? Like, you don't not enjoy it, you don't enjoy it? Cause... Um, no. I enjoy or not enjoy the shows. <laughs> it depends on what happens. But, like, mostly I find that for the beginning of a show, like, for the first few months, it's all producing. Like, I'm, like, I, I'm not saying I'm f- I phoned the comedy in, <laughs> but I did definitely do more producing than work on the comedy aspect of it. So, it for me, I always do that. I always seem to just try to make the show run good first, then work on what I'm going to do, and make sure I fill the rest of the show with amazing comedy. So... I'm more of just a vessel for the first little bit until I get comfortable, and then I start to kind of fill in where I want to beef up the show my, you know, through what I do. So do you feel like because of that, there's an aspect of like, like you've almost as you've gotten older, you've evolved into a producer first instead of a comedian first. Yeah, in a weird way, it's like I don't, I, I don't feel like I've chosen it either. It just kind of happened because you end up just realizing that you can't expect anyone to do anything for you you can't depend on anyone except for yourself so bleak no but it's like you can you can go ahead and take a chance and depend on someone but the one person you know you can depend on is yourself and so like producing allows you to do whatever you want without needing to really lean too much on anybody and hopefully you can help people too eventually if you do well yeah, totally. Is there? Can you think of like? Uh, do you do you think that there is there a moment you can think of where you were like you were like I gave that person a jump that they wouldn't have gotten or I mean you don't have to say names or anything like that because you know like if, a jump 
like someone like uh, mentored someone like do you feel like because one of the things I think about you is you've been doing it so long it's almost like you don't realize how long you've been doing it yeah. so you're almost now a, a veteran in the city to some degree yeah I don't know if I've given anyone any kind of a jump but I've definitely like championed people like yeah. and I don't even know if they know it because I do it a lot of times behind their back you know what I mean yeah you don't. like I, I tell people I think they're amazing and right like because I, I feel like I have a good eye for that, and I don't think that, um, I think it's like, it's kind of obvious. So if you see something that's good, yeah. you know what I mean? And a lot of the time, there's in this city especially, it's just like, there's so many hidden talents everywhere, because no one sees anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, most people haven't seen the things most people are doing. I know that sounds insane, but like, it's true. And so there's lots of people out there that are very good. It's like that whole, like, kind of the best guitarist in the world is probably in his basement and yeah. hasn't left, you know? <laughs> just doesn't care about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, like, they're out there. Yeah. Everyone's I just play there. for me. It's just for me. Exactly. Um, that's interesting, because, like, I mean, yeah, music, you, you can do that. You don't have to put it out there. But, like, comedy, you kind of do. Like, you can, you can do a, a stand-up act in your shower, but, like, if you're the only one laughing, it's not all that satisfying, yeah. right? Um what are your what what like one of the things that I want to explore with this podcast is what drives people to do the things that they do like what gets you up and out of your place to do it now I mean you know obviously that has different definitions and stuff but like I guess ultimately like what are your motivations like what are the things that are 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 making you do this stuff um, rather than being like I'm gonna go to sleep now and I'll do it tomorrow I don't know I don't have a choice anymore it doesn't even feel like there's a choice in it. Like, I've, I've thought to myself, like, fuck, man, I just want to quit. And then I wake up the next day and realize, like, I can't quit because my brain immediately wants to make a funny thing. Or, you know what I mean? And it's like, so you, it's just kind of one of those things where I don't know if I have a choice in the matter. I don't want to do anything else. Do you feel that that changed at some point in time? That, like, it went from being something that you were actively thinking about doing like I have to go do this or to being almost a compulsion to do yeah for sure like I well because there was a starting point you know what I mean it's like I chose to do this but then you kind of become weirdly addicted to it like you want to do better I I personally always want to try to do better and that's kind of my my thing is that Every time I do something, I learn something, and there's no way of putting what I learned to use unless I do something else. And once I do that, theoretically, the next thing should be better, right? Right. So it's like kind of just like feeling that kind of climb happening, and just like I need to make sure that there's always like an upward trajectory of like this is this next thing is better, you know? Right. Like right now, I'm really trying to concentrate on myself because I've been in sketch troops and surrounded by all these comedians that are amazing and make me look good and it's just kind of like now I have to concentrate on me and doing stuff for myself and that's why the DG special is a thing is because I wanted to put my name out there by myself you know but it's super hard because (laughs) it's just like it's almost like I don't know it's like you have to get past this weird shyness this like you know, you're like really putting your name out there. Yeah, and you don't get. I feel like one of my 
one of my hold like things that not holds me back but like one of my hang-ups i guess is that idea of like you only get one chance at it i mean i guess you don't really only get one chance at it there are a lot of stories of you know redemption and you know people coming back from whatever but like i don't know i always i feel like i always was waiting for like or i you know waiting for this perfect sort of way of this is going to define me or this is who this is going to show people what i can do or what i am um but ultimately it's not a one-time thing you know like it's an overall thing and i think like watching you do all this stuff it's been really interesting because you every time it's like okay we did it and like you definitely see an evolution in you as like uh, an artist or a creator because watching from the sidelines but do you see an evolution in your own self that way like do you see that like I was this way like because you've been doing it for so long like do you see that evolution or because you're in it it's harder to be objective um I see the evolution of producing like producing I feel like I've gotten better at and that's definitely a thing I'm comfortable doing now and I feel like yeah for sure with comedy it's not as much of an evolution it's for me it's like hills and valleys like I feel like I was my funniest when I was younger you know and now I'm always trying to get back to that so it's like I feel like I'm funny now but like uh, it's like you're fighting being jaded and you're fighting all these things because like you don't want to be like that but it's just you have now a whole history of time that affected you in whatever way, you know? And right. so, I don't know. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm the opposite person I was when I started doing comedy. So now it's about trying to find a 50-50 split because I like some of the things I've grown into, but I also wish I could be a little, like, looser and let go of a few things because I used to be a lot more carefree and, like, just I'd be willing to put stuff out there more, you know? So... Uh, I sent you an article recently. There was a really great article in, in Wired about uh, about how viral videos have sort of been killed by the internet. Did you? Yeah, I you, read that headline. So the, that's how I always do. Whenever someone sends me an article, I'm like, oh, that headline sounds good. I'll come back to it. And then I never read it. Um, but I still send them to people knowing that I wouldn't read their articles. Yeah. Uh, but this one was basically about how, like, you know, the heyday of viral videos were, like, 2005, 2006, and all that sort of stuff, which we were, you know, in our prime to some degree, like, you know, 25, 26-year-olds at the time. Um, and so it's sort of interesting to be... Um, present for something and not be involved in it and then 10 years later trying to find a way to crack that yeah. that egg and and it being a completely different egg and it's like do you ever feel that sometimes like for certain things that you missed that you missed that, that opportunity and like um and it, it's more of a, a t like now you're trying to you know what i mean like you're trying to recreate like that sort of thing and like and it can be done it's just it's just as diff. It's more. It's like almost like more difficult now than it was. Well, it's just like I feel personally like the kids have such a heads up on us now. Like they were growing up with it, and it's like they. It's like a second hand. A, well, no, it's like a third hand. But it's not. It's not it's like, like a, a second and a half hand. It's not like a hand. But my point is, <laughs> is I feel like the kids know uh, certain things that I feel. It, it's like you know how like there's like you know for, for the most part parents are just people that are like us, but. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things generationally that they do where you're like, oh, you're a little older, you know, yeah. like, and that's how we are now. It's like we're the we're the missing link, right? Because we we existed without the internet and with it, and so we're like kind of the people that know the old internet. So we we grew up with this like thing that was starting when we were kids, and basically like 
uh, we're now able to use it fine. And I actually have used this comparison with you before, uh, and I think it's a good one. Is like, and I hate to do this, but uh, it's like I look at us all like, uh, if you look at us all like iPhones, right? <laughs> and it's just like our parents are like the the first iPhone that came out and they can run the iOS and all that stuff. Yeah. But then like the next iPhone came out, say like our parents are the iPhone, you know, five and we're the iPhone six and six plus or whatever. And we can run the iOS a little better and faster. And like we were made for that iOS, you know, and then the new iOS came out and that's the kids now. And like, they're much faster. They can run the iOS. No problem. We're still running it, but it's like kind of crashing a few bit, like a few times. So it's like I feel like we are able to do things, but I feel like I'm still my dad a little bit when it comes to the internet. I, I feel like I might not be able to see it, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not using it the way kids today can use it. It's so interesting, right? Like it, we do exist in this time period where it's like you have so many tools. Like you have, you have, there is a camera on your phone that you can make videos with that like the teenage me would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I can like do all Mevo. of this stuff. The Mevo is crazy. The camera we, we use for the DG special is, uh, it takes basically, I don't know. It's, uh, it takes like a 4K panoramic. So it's like, and then it saves chunks. So you can like split it into up to nine different shots. You can zoom in on like people's faces, close-ups and things like that. The first time we shot the DG special, I did not know what the camera was capable of. And my whole role, especially when we were doing the original show, was that I was talking to the audience. So I'm sitting there with like an iPad. Um, I think at the time it was my phone, that first episode. And uh, I'm watching the, the the live feed on Facebook of us at that moment because I'm looking for comments. And there was, there's a moment in the middle of that episode. And like if you if you ever want to like look for something ridiculously stupid to look for, I don't even know if it's there for sure because I don't know if the camera was on me at the time. But I'm positive that there is a moment within that show where my face like I realized that the camera is capable of doing these things because I literally looked at my phone and there was a close up of my face and I thought this is like also a testament to where my self esteem is to some degree and I went ooh that's a close up of me not a fan not a fan of that and then like literally 30 seconds to a couple minutes later my brain went wait a second how the fuck is there a close up of me like I just couldn't fathom how it was possible and then afterwards obviously like the camera could do these amazing things but it was just so funny that even in the moment I didn't click it to what it could do um but yeah you have these phones you have these cameras on your phone and you can do all this sort of stuff and then i think when i was you know 15 i bought a camera like a vhs or like a video like one of those i got it like used from henry's was like 600 bucks i saved up forever the only thing i shot on it was like stupid i'm being attacked by aliens videos because it had these weird filters like the very first like digital filters that you can put on shit and so I would do these weird things where I would chase myself through the house. But the reason that it's, I was thinking about this recently is because of my dad. Um, and I was saying how we don't have any videos of him. Um, but I literally owned a video camera. Right, you know? and, never did it. And I never used it. And so sometimes I wonder, like, even with all of these bits of technology, like, would we have even done that? Like, we, you know, we always say we could do it. Um, I have a camera right now, and I've literally never used it. This is the thing. So I, I always find I always wonder if ultimately it just boils down I'm to shocked people. I used the Mevo. It's crazy, right? I almost want to. I keep trying to think of something we could do with it. Um, 
But, uh, well, I'm sure there are a lot of things we could do with it. And that's, I think, to some degree the problem. I think ultimately... Um, People are just people. I think there are probably people in the 1500s being like, I could paint a beautiful portrait. I just, uh, you know, like I've got an easel, yeah. you know? Um, and then, da, you know, there's Da Vinci just fucking never going to sleep and, and doing all that sort of stuff. So like, never how much do you think that, um, that your ability to create is learned and how much do you think it's like inherent, like that you would have always been, you know, someone who produced things regardless of what time period it was. Yeah, I think it just wasn't, a lot of it is inherent because I was like producing shows in high school, like coffee houses and like bands and stuff. I think I just like to see what I like to see. So it's like when you're the producer, you also kind of, uh, you're getting to like, you're getting a private kind of personal show because you're now like able to hire all your favorite things. And then you get the best show you could ever want. Like, instead of trusting another person to choose the acts, like, you know what you've seen. You know what I mean? So it's like, you get to put together this, like, wicked favorite show. Like, every show is my favorite show, you know? Because I, I love all the people I'm getting, and I want to see them more. And that's why they're on the show. It's really interesting way of... Uh... Because I, I know a lot of, um, you know, I, 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 I know a lot of, like, creators, writers, and directors, like, you know, people who are successful, a lot of them like to say that uh, they're making something that they like themselves. Like, I, I collect comic books, or a lot of comic book writers uh, who are like, I'm just writing comics that I want to read. And it's so weird, because I, I never feel like that's what I'm doing when I'm writing, because I love... In, like taking in stories and like reading comic books and novels and going to see movies and all that sort of stuff when something I, the part of it that I really like is not knowing what's going to happen and like being surprised by someone else's ideas yeah. right and so when I write my own stuff I'm always trying to write something that's like like I want to do my own version of the thing that I would like to see yeah. but ultimately I probably wouldn't watch the thing that I was making because I know the like all the things that I love about um about the stuff that I ingest is all the things that I can't have from my own work. And I think that sometimes it makes it difficult for me to like finish things because ultimately I get to the point where I'm like, I'm not as interested in it because it's it's been laid out. Like I should have just been a movie critic or right. something. And, well, that know. thing I said about like putting together your favorite show <laughs> and like that's what makes someone I think inherently a good producer is they want to see good stuff. But the other side of it is like to be a good producer you also have to be aware of the audience so like for instance the rec room show like i'm slowly learning that like a lot of my favorite acts don't necessarily work there because it's just a the audience is like different the, the room is different there's just all these weird things that like for whatever reason this is the type of act they want you know what i mean so that show has been slowly unlearning like oh this is what does well there this can do well there. This hasn't been doing well there. And it's really interesting because it's like each place is different. And as a producer, it's your job to know what's going to work. Right. Right. And so you're not always putting together a show that you necessarily like at that point. You're putting a show together that you can both be proud of, but also know that the audience will like. Sure. Yeah, yeah totally. It's like putting your... It's like putting the audience ahead of your yeah, needs, you know? Exactly. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't... I, the only reason I, I... I guess the stuff that I do, I couldn't watch just because it, I wanted to have that effect on other people that it would... That their stuff has on me, you know? Like, yep. it's that kind of thing. But that's why you produce more than one show. That's why, Fair. like, the garage show is going to be fun. 
Right, and right. That's why the kayaking show will be fun. Talk about some of these shows that you produce, because Dan does a lot of things that are like not typical kind of comedy shows. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Well, Helder Brum is a comedian in Toronto, and uh, he was doing a show called The Garage Show. And it was one of my favorite shows. I went to it all the time. And uh, I really don't like going out that much. So it was like, this is the show I like to go to, you know. And it just felt like a fun party, you know. He did a bunch of comedians in his garage. And he had a bonfire in the backyard. And uh, he was just, like, telling me it's, like, a lot of work. Because it's, like, basically like having a party once a month at that point. So I was, like, I was horrified because it sounded like he was going to stop doing it. So I was like, well, no, 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 no. Let's let's uh, work on it together. So I was like, I'll help you, and I, I just joined him so that the show wouldn't stop happening. And then uh, I was like, we'll get another garage, and we'll have it be like half the time at your place. And then that kind of worked out. So we started doing it in two different garages, and then um, yeah, we've been doing it for I think me and him have been doing it for over three years now. And then he was he's been doing it for like five or six. Yeah, Garage Show is definitely one of my favorite shows in the city because it's like it's like going to a comedy show at like summer camp somehow. Like I never went to summer camp, but it's what I assume comedy shows at a summer camp would have been like. Yeah. Like it's in this wood garage and it's all folding chairs. It's tiny. Like if you don't get there sort of, you know, yeah, pretty it's quickly, full. it's, it's going to be rammed. And it's sometimes it's super hot in there, but like it's always worth it. Yeah, and then there's like Helder also does uh, the Fireside Tales right. in the park. And uh, I help with that sometimes, but that's all Helder and Rhiannon. But uh, then I'm also doing a kayak comedy show where you basically rent a boat. My uh, cousin's company rents you a boat, and then you boat to a dock where I put on a comedy show, and you watch it from your boat. And that's always a... It's crazy. People saw, like, deer on the way to the show. It's just a weird time. So it's like, I like doing shows in weird places, that's for sure. Yeah, your shows tend to, they always tend to have like like an extra aspect. Like you're not just going to a comedy show, you're going on a kayak trip or you're going to hang out. So it's like a backyard party or uh, even the... um, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break real shortly, but before we do, I want to uh, talk about the Dan the Dan Galley Awards because the Dan Galley Awards sort of encompasses all of this stuff. Um, it almost encompasses all of what Dan is as like a human being and an artist, um, all in the same thing. So Dan, what are the Dan Galley Awards? Well, the Dan Galley Awards are just my comment on award shows because I don't really care for them um and uh this award show the dan galley awards is basically anyone can get an award if they want one (laughs) and uh, i will give it to you and it will mean nothing but it'll mean as much as every other award in my opinion (laughs) which is nothing so i uh i made this up just because i was bored and then i ended up doing so much work it just like (laughs) became so much work because i had such an over Whelming response of people wanting an award and so I ended up the first year I think I made 500 awards yeah and, and it kind of was like I realized that like it kind of trended on Twitter a little bit I think and, it did I think it trended then, on, like, Toronto on like, Twitter and I was like oh that's weird and then I was like next year I'll do double that so then, <laughs> then I, and then I was like but I, if I'm gonna do it I'll try to like get a charity attached to it and so the first two years I just did it for fun I did like 500 awards and a thousand awards the next year and then the third year, I, I got a 
this uh, Riverdale Housing Action Group, which is like a small charity in Toronto, attached, and I had to be so that there's like a GoFundMe kind of link with every award. So if you win an award, you can kind of put some money into this charity if you want. And then I did a live show as well, where all the proceeds went to that charity. And so, yeah, just thousands of awards for anybody that wants them. And uh, you get like a actual certificate with like the award that you want on it sent to you. And yeah, it was pretty, uh, it's got pretty crazy. I like, it's kind of weird because it's just now it has literally become so much work. So, and I don't know if I ever want to do it. <laughs> the thing you got to understand with the Dan Galley Awards, the reason that I think it encompasses Dan so 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 well, is that it literally started with him just sending out like random Facebook um, like mentions. He would just tag you in a picture that said like the Dan Galley Awards you've won, and like I think I won like most cat shirts. Which I mean, anyone who knows me knows that that's I have a lot of shirts with cats on them, um, and they were that kind of thing. Like uh, I think one the second year, uh, our, fr- my, our our good friend Lindsay uh, and I both won each other's like scholarship fund. Like I won the Lindsay Allen you know bursary award or something, and, and she won the Josh Finkelman scholarship or something like that. It was just that it was the whole idea was it was just something to like make you smile out of nowhere right and then to top it off he then turned it into a charity raising show the thing about the show that you have to understand part of the reason that i think it there is some legend to it is that dan had very long hair um at the time uh it was both of us had very long hair now it's just me and he showed up to the dan galley awards um and if you have a chance and you know dan on facebook go look for this picture because it's glorious um but dan shows up in a full wedding updo had to be fancy. Yeah, beads and everything, and uh, did the whole show in a in a whole wedding up to which they actually basically looked like Bram Stoker's Dracula. There was yeah, <laughs> a very Dracula vibe, um, but it was amazing. It was fantastic. He raised a whole bunch of money for for a charity, which is like you know I don't even like, I usually say no thanks when someone asks me for money on the street. I'm like I have enough, um, and Dan's doing shows. Wait, when someone asks you for money, yeah, on the I just I turn around. Tell them you have enough. I'm like, thank you, I'm good, I'm all right. Wow. Yeah, I know. Or that I quit smoking when they ask for a cigarette. I'm like, oh, I quit smoking. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just because I live in an You're area with a lot in. of people who ask for money, and I feel it's like true. you know, you do it once, you're doing it forever. Um, but that's the kind of person that I am. I'm a terrible person, and you are a wonderful person. Um, and we're gonna take this moment to uh, just take a quick commercial break. Uh, we've got a couple sponsors for the show. Two scoops um, of raisins in my bowl of raisins. That's that's not it, but we'll be right back in Yo, just ho, ho, a second. Green beans. My name is Dave Merhej. Uh if, if you don't know me, uh, if you know me, that's dope too. But you are listening to Running Up the Downstairs with Josh Finkelman. And look, man, this is sponsored by his social media, which is his Twitter, his Instagram, I think his Tinder. Is that even so? That's social media. Whatever kind of app. That's what it is. And it's K Josh Radio. Look, the podcast was hella dope. We talked for a long time. And you know what I'm saying? It was cozy. We had these like uh, purple lights in the room. Um, it looked like we were like freebasing, but we didn't. He was sober and his cat was acting up. All right. Um, so those are our those are our sponsors. A little, little break there. Now we're back. Uh, back in the downstairs with Dan Gallia, who's my guest today. Comedian, producer, uh, best friend. Um, you keep saying that. I'm so uncomfortable. I, I'm appreciative of it, but uh, you don't have to say it so much. No, no, but you're... you're Okay, fine. Whatever. It's fine. Whatever. 
<laughs> Don't tell so many people. That's actually one of my favorite jokes that you do. Um, the 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 best friend one. I was talking to my best friend the other day, and he said, "Hey, stop calling me your best friend. I'm not doing anything for that guy. He's my best friend." <laughs> See, it makes me laugh every time. Um, so, <laughs> so we're gonna we're on the back end here, um, and we haven't really established any uh, bits, like you know, segments that we have for the show. So we're just gonna go right back into a couple last questions. Um, one of the things that I feel about getting older is sometimes I think about what my younger self would have thought or like what I would have said to me now um and uh or I don't like you know no one cares what what my 15 year old self would have said to me but um Dan I'm curious like if your you know 15 to let's say 20 year old self were able to jump forward into the future and and sort of sit here on the couch with us like what do you feel um obviously like you know they you know we're not world famous movie stars right so there's always gonna be a little disappointment i think from the the children we probably both were but like what do you how do you feel about like through that lens like how do you think you would see yourself through that lens of youth i don't know i think i'd be pretty i think i'd be like split right down the middle i'd be like oh man this this is what happens but i'd also be like if i found out all the stuff i've done i think i'd be like oh that's pretty cool you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting <laughs> conundrum you've <laughs> given me here. Uh, but you know, I you just reminded me of this thing, which yep. is uh, I found an essay I wrote when I was 12 years old. And it was when I was telling Josh, it's like one of the weirdest things, because like, I guess 15-year-old me probably would have been exactly the same as me now. <laughs> I, I just like... This just killed me. I just want to read the first few lines on it. This is how my my journal starts in grade 12. To tell you the truth, this has been the worst year of my entire life. And I'm not looking forward to next year. Most of my friends thought they were too cool for me, except a few. Then I get this thing, and I'm stuck with this to make my life even more miserable. So, I wasn't a happy kid. (laughs) But I feel like journals are always that way. Like when you just complain. Yeah, it's always like because I found uh, like I every I'm not a journal person. I find it very difficult to stick to like you know that rhythm of like going back to it. Like people writing diaries, like you know, dear diary, like this is what happened to me today. Like I always I'm always sort of baffled by that ability to like be introspective daily yeah. and stuff, even weekly. But I, I've always tried. I always thought there was some value to at least attempting it. And every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll, especially whenever I get into like a, oh, I've got to keep a journal sort of mindset, I'll always go back and like look for the old journals that I wrote and they're all the same. Like it's almost always the exact same gripes. It's just spread out by like five years or whatever. It's like, there's always girl problems and there's like, oh, I'm not doing, I didn't, you know, like, and you're just like, yes, I think that's why I stopped. I probably haven't written one in like, you know, maybe five or six years minimum. Um, because I came to the realization that it was just me complaining throughout time about the same bullshit. And so I was like, well, this is not going to look well in the history books. <laughs> it's true. You're just letting, you're just writing evidence, basically. Yeah. It's like if there's no, like, you know, Lincoln could have been the whiniest motherfucker, right? But, like, you know, he didn't put it in his journals, and so we don't know about it's it. It's true. Um, and so... <laughs> Picasso was a classic asshole. Yeah, right? But he didn't put it in his journals, and his journals was all about, like, his charitable work and shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true. You'll have to Google that someone. Um, 
but yeah, I think there's, I, I, I kind of asked the question, like, it, it's sort of a leading question only because, like, I don't think there's any, I think very few of us get the opportunity to be like, no, I got to do exactly what I thought I was going to do. I, you know, I've reached every goal that that, you know, stupid kid that I was had, you know? Um, so it's sort of like, I, I'm, it's, I find it to be a really interesting question because... Well, the one thing that's interesting about it to me is, like... It's a weird question because, so, 15-year-old Dan also doesn't know how hard it is. So my expectations of where I should be at, like, when I was 15 are unreasonable. Like, they're they're based on nothing. Like, they have no facts that would encourage any kind of real guess, you know? So it's like, it doesn't actually matter what 15-year-old Dan thinks because Dan now knows how hard it was. You know what I mean? So it's like... If I would have always known, then I would have always thought there's no way. It was like 15 year old Dan for sure thought I would be like a famous person. Sure. Right? 15 year old Josh was was a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Because really, like when I started doing this, it was for much more of the wrong reasons. Like, I just wanted money and fame, you know? And then as I like fell in love with doing comedy, it just became more about doing comedy and making it funny. Right. And it just so, and my brain kind of shifted into if you make something good enough it will actually do the thing you originally wanted anyway you know what i mean so it's like but yeah you just have no clue when you're starting out how hard it's gonna be you know or how easy it might be it's just person to person place to place time to time it's fucking different and you don't get to choose you just you're on the wheel and people keep spinning it you know do you find it difficult not to look at other people's like other people because I think one yes, of yes I'm a horribly jealous person <laughs> and I think about I compare myself to everyone it sucks and uh, it's just the way it is but I also those same people I compare myself to and that I'm jealous of sometimes it's like I genuinely am also happy for them and like it's a it's a very complex set of feelings <laughs> but it, it's true it's like you can't help yourself you know yeah it, it's like you want the best for them but you also want the best for yourself and it's like it's hard to separate the idea that the the best for you and the best for them are completely unrelated right. things you know but also like they can help you it's good for drive like sure you want to accomplish what this other person has so you're like climbing using them as like almost like fuel right yeah yeah, yeah. like i read uh i read this article about uh uh, donald glover uh recent because atlanta just came back for a second season and and i think it was i think the one there are a bunch of them i think esquire did one also but i think the one that i read was vanity fair and one of the things that like people talk about him is like is that he's just good at everything he's effortlessly good at everything like there was a line that dan Harmon said about him something like i just stopped writing him lines at the end of a scene and i would just write in how did he phrase it uh donald says something to wrap it says something witty to wrap everything up and it's like to be i mean a to be a writer who is willing to just put a fucking you know dot 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 at the end of the scene and know that someone is capable of just coming in and improving the perfect line is is insane to me but on another thing it's like go fuck yourself donald glover you're like you're that good at everything like fuck you but also it's amazing that someone is capable of that like it's it's something to aspire to you know yeah but he's childish that's that is true but i feel like but i feel like (laughs) 
I feel like you're one of those people that is able to do like I know I feel jealousy sometimes because like you can sing and you're funny and you really write. not that good singer. <laughs> yeah, but even your bad yeah. singing has some like like has has uh, notes to it. Whereas like I don't even I can't like I'm tone I'm colorblind and tone deaf. You know, yeah. <laughs> like just a stack deck. Um, <laughs> so it's funny, like you know, it's it's. I love that you're able to do that because I get to enjoy watching those things happen. But I also think like I like I would kill someone to be able to play the guitar. You know yeah. what I mean? And because you'll know that I have never killed anyone because I am unable to play the guitar completely. Um, but yeah, it's like just some people are good at everything, and I think. Dan, it's so you are one of those people that is good at many things. I mean, you know, you're... Yeah, but you've just given something horrible away. If one day you're good at guitar, I will know that you killed somebody. That is, you know what, I don't know that that's officially that that'll mean it, but it'll definitely put a suspicion on me for sure. Because um, it'll be like, how the fuck did he do that? 75-year-old flamenco guitarist. That's the kind of guitarist I'll be. Just... <laughs> I don't know, it's not full... See, I'm tone deaf. Um... Well, Dan, uh, we're going to keep the back end a little shorter, but before we go, um, if you had to give, let's, let's wrap it up with your 15 year old self. We'll keep it underage. Uh, <laughs> what would, if you could, if you give, uh, that kid advice and, um, also, you know, me because I'm here and our audience, because ideally they're listening yeah. at some point um like what is give me three things top three things that you need to have do or uh know to get any kind of success in the world you want to live in hmm. um i would say just do it one just do it because it's like a lot of people have ideas and you find out really quickly that ideas are nice but it's doing those ideas that really get you anywhere, ever. So instead of saying you're going to do something or thinking of doing it or coming up with an idea that you never do, actually think of an idea and then go do it and finish it and then do another idea. Rather than having 30 ideas that you never do, do one of them. Just one from start to finish. And no matter what, I guarantee you'll get something good out of it. All right, that's good. That's, that's very good advice. Advice that I have difficulty following. Um, and then the the next thing, tell the truth. Two, always tell the truth because if you always tell the truth, you can always be confident in what you're saying to other people, especially in situations when you disagree, because you get in the most trouble when you start bending the rules for yourself and other people but if you're always true to what you feel and you tell the truth to everybody you will always be a confident smart person all right bring it home hygiene three be clean listen i wasn't clean for a really long time sometimes i just wouldn't shower for weeks and i gotta be honest with you it's not fun it's not fun for other people it's not fun for you so I mean, just stay clean and uh you know people will notice <laughs> i will neither confirm nor deny whether that's true or not um <laughs> you'll have to ask dan uh about his past and your own time listen i just didn't want to give in to big soap <laughs> <laughs> fuck you ivory um just like i won't give in to big mattress 
Oh, the, <laughs> Dan's all about big couch. Um, guys, ladies, ladies and gentlemen of this theoretical audience, thank you very much for joining us here in the downstairs. This has been episode one. This is Dan Gallia. Dan, how can people find you? www.dangallia.ca at the real Dan Gallia on Twitter at DG Special on Instagram. LinkedIn profile activated. <laughs> uh, you can find us at the, the, on the DG Special live at the Rec Room at the end of the month. Uh, you can go to the Rec Room's webpage. Uh, just Google the DG Special. www.therecroom.com. <laughs> There's links on Dan's website. There's links on my website, uh, kjoshradio.com. Um, there's links everywhere you can find all that shit also um, at the DG special live Twitter also true um, there are episodes all, pretty much all of our episodes no season 1 and season 3 are all on my website as well season 2 is on Dan's um, and uh, thanks for, for hanging out downstairs with us guys uh, you know I'm trying to be better about that I keep saying guys a lot bye everybody see you later folks